Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome along to the Rocky World Boxing Podcast. I'm here in Dublin with a former Irish champion boxer and international fighter, Terry O'Neill. Terry, in recent years, has moved towards becoming a stand-up comedian and an actor has been in a bunch of successful movies, but remains devoted to boxing. Terry, <laughs> welcome to the show. How are you doing? All good, man. All good. How are you? Yeah, great. Been uh, looking forward to getting you on the show. I think when I when we first started up, I was like, got to get you on sometime, got to get you on sometime. So that was about three years ago. Yeah, it's been a long so time. It's for about me. time. Yeah. It's Thanks about. for having me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> nah, delighted to. Um, Terry, uh, you started off in boxing, uh, boxed for a few clubs around Ireland, won, won Irish titles, but, but nowadays... Your involvement in boxing is almost like a, a public face of boxing in the entertainment industry. Public face, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. hope I represent well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still, I still, I still keep myself in some sort of semblance of shape. I'd like to think by training people and stuff like that. I, um, I operate over gym in Harold's Cross at the moment, just training mostly just people who want to learn, you know, learn a little bit of boxing, learn the basics, and get in some kind of shape, as opposed to people who are actually competing. You know, um, and so what was the question? Uh, I was just saying, can you do that question just, again? Actually, I was just saying that you're the public <laughs> face of boxing. You're actually the first person who ever uh, the showed public me. face of boxing. That's what threw me there. Well, you see the posters. There you are in the Ireland vest. You know, the, you don't see that anymore. But there you are. And, oh, for the boxing for the show. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I'm represented on that front. Yeah, my show that I'm doing at the moment. It's called Rope Dope. It's, um, I've got a couple of shows. When is this going out, actually, this podcast? This, probably a fortnight, I think. Okay, well, then there's no point in promoting that here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, this is going to time machine. <laughs> I've got previews on uh, Sunday the 23rd <laughs> in uh, Paracarnies. And then I'm doing two shows in the Civic Theatre in Talla this month on the 27th and 28th. And then off to Edinburgh for the whole month of August, so... So we'll focus on Edinburgh. You're going to be in Edinburgh for the month of August. I'll be representing the face of face boxing over there. And like, uh, so your show, Rope It Up, well, what's, it, what's, what's it all about? What's it like? Um, so I guess it's kind of, it's like completely personalized. It's um, it's based on my own backstory and my own. I wanted to, I suppose I wanted to combine the elements that I have in my life now. The elements of like stand-up comedy and acting to so make it kind of dramatic. Like it's a mesh of stand-up comedy and a one-man show. If you get me, so there's elements of music and movement and stuff in there as well. But I basically want to combine all my, um, I don't want to use the expertise, but like, you know, <laughs> combine all my skill set and bring in the boxing as well and really tell my own life story, my own backstory. And then just like, as you know, like boxing is just endless material to mine from. You know, the boxing history is just so rich and so many crazy and murky and mental things have gone on through the years that why not give them run in the sun yeah you know? absolutely and that's one thing covering boxing for a number of years as well it's 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 a unique sport it's, it's unusual it's full of characters full of yeah. funny moments and that's probably what keeps you 
coming back. It's not all a serious slog either. Like there's uh, there's lots of stupid things that happen. Oh, like absolutely, it. absolutely. Just look around now. Look at all the circus shows going on at the moment. Although, do you find that funny? <laughs> no, not all. Actually, not all. I don't want to talk about. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't give them any airtime. Yeah. But uh, all right, so you're, you're, it's a runtime of an hour. That's like that's a that's a long time to be up on stage doing your doing a show. Yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, it's quite terrifying actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, did you, how did you write it? What was the inspiration to write um, to bring your previous passion of boxing and your lifelong passion mm. of boxing into your into your new gig? Because I'm sure the temptation was there to, to branch out, do something completely different. But then maybe the old sport called you back in. You know, were you determined yeah. to stick to what you knew for a while to establish your name? Uh, I think that I wanted to do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival first and foremost. I wanted to do a full show there, and I wanted also to do when I, I, I my best, my favorite kind of shows I've seen, even stand up comedy shows, are usually based around the team. As opposed to like a lot of time people go to Edinburgh and they just have like an hour long of their best stand up bits, mm. which is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Just wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. You know, so you see shows about a team like, um, like it springs to mind. Joanne McNally a few years ago did a show about bulimia and stuff like, you know, like it was, it was pretty heavy, but it was really funny as well. So I wanted something that would be a bit of a journey where it's not just, you know, it's, it's very laugh heavy. I'd like to think it's joke heavy kind of show. There's also elements of, you know, just, just dealing with like, say in my own experience, the loss of a dream. Like, so people always talk about the loss of your first love. But what about the loss of your first dream as a kid? You know, I want to be world champion. And when you kind of finally realize, I'm not Sugar Ray Robinson, you know, when that kind of, that realization comes upon you as a young lad, it's kind of, it's a hard pill to swallow. Mm. And then trying to move, you know, into some other kind of field. And that's when it comes in and intersects with stand-up comedy and with acting. What was your original dream? Was it world professional champion, Olympic champion? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Who's gonna say it wasn't? Yeah, but well, some say Jason Quigley would say it was always the green belt, and then yeah. lots of others say not Olympics, and then after that, whatever mm. happened. So, what was it for you? Oh, for me, I was much more interested in professionals always. Mm. So I never really wanted. I never was really crying out for like. Um, obviously, it would have been amazing, but I never was crying out for. I never daydreamed about the Olympics. Say very mm. rarely, it was always being a professional world champion. And the boxers I looked up to, like even my favorite kind of boxers, like as a child, my favorite boxer was Rocky Marciano. Like he was who I idolized. And more because I just really admired the way I read um, that book. Was it Everett M. Skeen wrote the Rocky Marciano book from many years ago? I read that book and it was like, you know, one of the first books I ever read. I probably et through it in about four days. And I thought that was like record quick time for reading the book. And Marciano was my hero from then on. I just felt like he he had all these qualities that I really admired in, in a boxer, you know. He overcame everything. He was he was underweight, he was undersized for heavyweight. He that's the old expression says you only need to look in the shaving mirror and he start bleeding, you know. He got yeah. cut easily, broke his hands every time he punched, but he just had this will to win that was extraordinary. And then, like, you know, he just refused to lose and he and he never did. So people like that was who I really idolized. And then after that, Ricky Hatton. Was my was my idol, so I was trying to copy Ricky Hatton's style a lot of the time, which was not really conducive to the kind of almost like fencing kind of style of the amateurs at the yeah. time, scoring points, moving away, emphasis on not getting hit. You know where I wanted to get in close, do damage, cause mayhem. Exactly. So yeah. yeah. So so uppercut. Yeah. Exactly that. So the pros were always on my mind. That's always what I wanted to do, even though I never went pro in the end. But that was my. <laughs> And uh, so, like, when it, when it came to fighting in the amateurs, 
obviously in order to become a very successful professional you probably there are there are people who say oh he's got more of a pro style you know mm. don't worry about that loss you've got more of a pro style yeah but yeah as you made it so far and you had a lot of skill you won an irish intermediate cha- championship uh, and why don't you tell us about that but when did the dream start to go off the other side um i think yeah well, i won, won the under 21s intermediates the same year I was like just I was just gone eighteen when all that was happening, so it was kind of that was the year I was kind of breaking through, you know, and I felt like um, yeah, I felt like a lot of prospects at that time. The next thing after that would have been the Olympics. Like I was a bit young now, but I could have feasibly qualified for the Olympics if I was good enough. Let's be honest, I just wasn't good enough. That was the year Andy Lee went, two thousand and four, um, and he was the only one to qualify that year, the only Irishman to qualify in the whole Olympics uh, boxing team. I I suppose my kind of early 20s, I start getting my head torn and I start thinking about like, um, you know, I start getting interested basically in performance and in I was really always interested in film and I always wondered what it would be like to give acting a go. And as you know, from talking to people and stuff, um, in boxing, you always have a facade on, you always have a mask, you know what I mean? You can't show any emotion. You can't show any self-doubt or any 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 remorse or any pity or anything like that. You sound like the Terminator there, don't they? Um, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have any pity. He's no remorse. He doesn't sleep and he won't stop. But I mean, that's that's kind of the best kind of boxers are those kind of ones who can just shut out emotion. And I always found that a bit difficult, you know? I would get really down if I lost. Um... I probably have uh, overly high opinion of myself when I won then as well by that by that logic maybe, but I think I was just a bit too kind of I was a bit mercurial, you know, a bit up and down, and I couldn't just switch my emotions off, and I found that was kind of one of my weaknesses. A few times in the ring, I kind of lost my temper, I got frustrated, or um, you wouldn't be the first. You wouldn't be. No, the first. no, no, definitely not, definitely not. But I do think it's a real asset to be able to just have laser-like focus and just shut everything down. Like you see these, like, um, like I think Usyk, perfect example. Yeah. He'd be laughing and joking 10 minutes before he gets into the ring and then he's just an absolute machine. Yeah. I never really had that. Right. You had to be uh, full on and then it, and then it was, it became too much almost. And I think it, so. It was difficult as well. I saw like just flicking through the record as well, just going back just to refresh the memory. Ireland had a very dominant welterweight at the time as well. You came up against him a few times. He, He's been called the most talented fighter of the high performance generation in Roy Sheehan. Yeah. You came up against him a few times. Yes, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. Man he was, like, he was my nemesis. He was my nemesis. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was. Um, Scott Roy was the first boxer I interviewed many years ago. You were okay. the first fighter who ever showed me the ropes in, uh, in the ring. Okay, so, well, yeah, well, uh, connection there. Better, yeah. A link. No, Roy was super. Roy was super. He was also like. Um, he was 69 kilos and he was about six foot two or three. Like, do you know what I mean? So I'm I'm barely touching 5'10. Uh, and he had a lovely computer kind of style as well. He could do a bit of everything. He could punch as well. And he could have a bit of a scrap when he needed to. I know he kind of there was a there was a period then when he kind of with injuries and stuff like that, he was mm. struggling and he kind of lost After his way. He broke the hand, yeah. Could yeah. Go up to Beijing. Mm. broke the hand didn't get back on time and then it was a struggle up to 20 yeah and others others emerged then as well yes he around little, that time sorry he had his little indian summer in the in the amateurs as well in the pros after that came as well yeah yeah, sure. yeah but no roy roy was a top boxer top top guy like he had a great judge of distance and i think that with my style it was written all over my face like you know you're supposed to have a good poker face in the ring it was written all over my face i wanted to get close to him and rip him into the body and he just like he was very good at negating that 
Um, so we boxed each other three times. Uh, I won. No, no, I'm joking. He won. He won all three. <laughs> I'd like to say. I'd like to say the last one was a close fight. Could have went either way. Uh, the first two he won for sure. Yeah, you landed a few. You landed. A few. I landed one or two yeah, on him. Yeah. I got him once or twice. <laughs> what was um? What was the highlight of your your boxing career? Obviously, representing your country. I know you won a gold medal. It was in over in Belgium uh, or Holland. Or I multi nations gold medal was in Austria. in Austria. I won a couple of couple of bronzes and stuff like that. Right. First, the only time I won gold was, was that better winning on foreign soil representing Ireland or winning at the national stadium as Irish champion? Which which uh, it's all great, like. It's great winning in your hometown for sure. But I feel like, again, going back to that, you know, just that thing about not really being able to block out my emotions accordingly all the time. I My last six years of boxing never lost away from home, ever. Uh, all my losses were in Ireland. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like, if I went away, when you're up against it, when nobody really expects you to win, that's when I'd box at my best usually. When I'm back on home, home soil, where like, you know, you kind of have, 20, 30 people in to see it, you know. Uh, that's often when I didn't show up, you know. And a lot of that thing, I, I think as well, like looking back, I know everyone's got excuses when they lose, you know. My costume was too heavy. Or um, or Vladimir Klitschko himself, my water got drugged. Or David Hay against Klitschko, his toe was sore. You know, we've all that's got excuses. Sure. Yeah. But um, my costume was too heavy. That costume was, was too heavy. <laughs> was the best ever. Yeah, Deontay Wilder. <laughs> but I think uh, making weight as well. I made weight in very silly ways too. Again, I was idolizing like Roberto Duran and Ricky Hatton and stuff like that. So I thought that was the norm. Whereas really it's it's suicide in the amateurs because you need that spring in your step. It's very fast paced. You don't have 12 rounds to try and grind someone down. So I made weight very stupidly as well a lot of the time. I just crashed. Were you were you on the inner sphere of the high performance unit? Because that class of 04, 08, you came up alongside mm. was when the high performance unit began. And we've all heard the stories before where it was the Ireland teams would go away on trips, be drinking and all sorts of mm. stuff and just getting up to all sorts of shenanigans. And there was a great story about the October press when the boys jumped in and, and fought all comers and stuff like that. Yeah. And milling lads out of it. And he, yeah. told, he told us a story in the podcast before, but were you were you on that inner circle much or were you just outside it trying to get yourself in? Yeah, I'd say I was on the peripherals of that a lot of time because it was it's a very there's like a very fine margin of error sometimes between you might lose a close decision uh, and of course we're robbed we all get robbed yeah. don't we we're all robbed when we lose especially the pro style fighters he's yeah robbed. yeah, he was robbed he was robbed yeah. that, that fight was 12 rounds he would have won that as sure as you got yeah. the flu when you lose you know I've never heard of a boxer who's just lost because the opponent was better but um, it does happen occasionally but yeah I think that uh, you might lose a close decision say and then all of a sudden your whole you were so close to getting like a government grant, get trained with the high performance team, trained twice a day, and all of a sudden you're back to working 40 hours on a building site or wherever it is, you know? So it's very hard to make up the ground when you're working a full-time job. And again, if you're just, you're close to that line, if you're not getting past that finish line, it can be very tough to make up the ground. So I was, I would have, I'd be trained with the high performance team and stuff like that in the weekends, but I never was actually in the, part of the nucleus of that team around yeah. that no never got any assistance any money so like you had a couple of clubs did you or t- tell us about, like the clubs and the mentors that you had maybe as a young flip come through yeah yeah I was when I was 12 going on 14 I started boxing in Mount Talent which is McDowling you know McDowling famous famous boxing man uh, he showed me the ropes three or four weeks ago was so, he yeah, 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 okay great must give a listen yeah, Mick's good old skin. Mick was my first coach at Mount Talent. And then my dad as well. My dad became 
a coach then. He got his coaching badges when I started there. So he did me did my corner like a rake of times, dozens of times over the years too. Right. And then after that, the last club was St. Saviour's Dorset Street. So John McCormick, Jimmy Halpin, all those lads there are legends as well. So that was the last maybe three or four years of me boxing. Darren Sutland was in the club at the time, stuff like that. Like it was it was a brilliant, it was it was a massive uh it was a massive club at the time. Yeah, great crew. Met them all recently at a Dear the Gogarty event. They were up to see. Oh, it. very good. Friends of the show over at St. Saviour's. But uh, yeah, and and like, look, where where are your happiest memories in boxing? Um, think thinking back, I'll never be as happy again as like um, as that little twelve year old discovering boxing. For me, it was like, uh, my dad tells a story even of watching me walking into the gym for the first time and just like being mesmerized, like mouth the gape, you know, watching like the, watching the speed bag being volleyed against the bracket, even the sound of the skipping rope, but watching like two grown men in the ring, you know, punching the shit out of each other, but the controlled violence of it and even the smell of the gym, it was just, it was like, it was like one of those moments in life where you've got like a before and after, you know, that was just. My life changed forever. I felt yeah. like when I first walked in the boxing gym, and to this day, I don't obviously I don't compete now. It's a little longer too for that, but uh, I still it still occupies every second thought in my mind. You know, I still follow the boxing intensely, and I still read all the books and stuff like that that come out. Um, yeah, I think I think discovering boxing age twelve that that was my happiest time of all. Do you, do you remember your first fight back then? Yeah, I do. My first ever fight was. Um, Darren Acton was his name. I think he stopped shortly afterwards. But it was a guy who meets the same school as me. And it was like derby. The, the absolute local derby, yeah. But the pressure I felt, it was like the teachers were taking bets on this fight. You know what I mean? Everybody, everybody in school knew. But I beat him, thankfully. Like I beat him. Uh, yeah, I won my first nine in a row, I think, before I lost my first fight. Right. So do you remember your last one? My last fight? Yeah. Funny enough, my last one was actually wasn't a bad performance. I kind of went through Went through a period where I had like tennis elbow with a few injuries and I lost a few fights. I just really wasn't myself at all. And then I just took a bit of time off and I was, I boxed one of the Upton brothers in Belfast and uh, boxed really well. Yeah, it was, it was, I was felt well in control the whole time and stuff. It was, my elbow was fine. People were like, ah, you're going back there. You're the best in senior boxing about 10 years, Terry. And never fought again. So <laughs> go figure. And why, why did you why did you hang up the gloves? Was it just an accident? Did you mean to go back and life got in the yeah, way? Yeah, never actually. It, yeah, you I'm make not, a decision. I'm retiring here. Do you know what? Now that you've put it to me, I'm going to officially announce my retirement now. I'm sorry, folks. I'm not coming back. I'm retired. And uh, no, I never never actually formally said I was stopping boxing. I just uh, I went to I went to acting school around the corner here in Bulali, and that that was kind of it. That took over my life. Then I started acting full time, and I really went for that. So. That was kind of occupying all my time. Yeah. Do you think in today's uh, landscape, with, there's a lot more pros around Dublin around mm. the scene. Do you think in today's uh, in today's environment, you would have been gone pro at that stage? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I uh, I definitely was born about ten years too early for all that stuff. You know, there was no real scene here, not really at the time. And I went, I went to America. I went to Gleason's um, for a few months, years back, and that was my plan to go back over, go pro. And I don't really know. I can't really answer where I didn't really go for it, but I've, I don't have any regrets now. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I see, and not to put a dampener on things, but like reading Tristan's book about 
head trauma and CTE and stuff like that. I don't really have too many regrets. And and other other lads I know went to pro in America, and they've became sparring partners for top lads. And now you meet them, and they've they've there's, there's clearly some damage done there, you know. And um, it's funny you mentioned that. I was going I was going to bring it up almost mm, next, like you really, know, yeah. yeah. Like I know, because you mentioned that you buy all the latest books and you read all yeah. the latest. I know I've seen you advocating for Triss's book, Damage, and it's is it because you've obviously got such a passion for boxing. Is it difficult to square it these days because we're seeing more and more, you know, we're seeing more and more the damage that it does to fighters and all, and, and you're in a great position that you managed to get out clean. Yeah, well, we'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> but now I think. Um, yeah, to a certain extent, it can be difficult to to square that. Like I, be, I feel like Chris Dixon said this himself that now you're watching like a watching a, a Gatti Ward type fight, mm. and it's kind of mixed emotions. One party is screaming at the telly, like really involved and really excited, and the other part is thinking like this guy going home to, or or woman like going home to their partner, their kids, their their mother, their father, and like just the the damage that's being done to them right in front of our eyes for our entertainment. Were you up in uh, Belfast a few weeks ago at Mick Conlon's World yeah. Title Fight? Yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah, were you there at the the fight before Conlon came on? Ludum or Ludat? Yeah, Ludomu Ludati, I think, is from South Africa. I won't, I won't attempt the pronunciation, from, um, but he was fighting Nick Ball, and and like for anyone who didn't see the fight, we're waiting for the fight to be over. Effectively, yeah, we, we we were told Conlon would be on early, and as a newspaper reporter, I was just waiting for the fight to be over. I needed to get my report mm. into the paper. I was willing this fight to be over, but not willing it to end. The way it did, yeah. and uh, the South African fellow, like he, he nearly died. He's only just been released from. He's only just been, yeah. That was maybe hospital, and has gone home, and ago. you know. But he was, he's relying on GoFundMe's from yeah. Belfast Boxing Public, who've been really generous, and Hugh O'Halloran from Belfast Boxers has really looked after him and set up the GoFundMe, and has relied on the good people of yeah. Irish boxing to put money in and put their hand in their pocket to fund this guy, but. You're on your own, aren't you? You're completely on your own. It's a scary thing. And professional boxing, as you know as well, is a different game entirely. Like, you know, when you're live watching pro boxing, somebody's really getting, you know, it's on. they're on the verge of being stopped and the crowd are baying for blood. It becomes yeah. the closest thing to Roman gladiators that we have today, like a public execution sometimes. It, it's crazy. The psychology of crowds really like screaming for this guy to get, get decimated. Yeah. It, it does. Ha- it's difficult to square. And I can, I can only imagine... Like what was Conlon going through in the dressing room? Yeah, you know, and, and like it didn't it didn't affect the other guy, the Mexican who came out and did a demolition job on him. But what are you going to be going through? You're meant to go out for a fight in your hometown. The guy in the fight just before you could be dead. You don't know. He's yeah. been rushed to hospital. Out, didn't yeah, at all. brain surgery and um, removed a part part of his skull. I think yeah. you know a lot. Now Conlon doesn't notice, but he knows a serious incident has happened. Then you've got to take the walk to the, the lonely walk to the ring. Now I know he's roared in by his home crowd but like I remember feeling just sick at the time yeah and yeah. I thought like the, the guys in the main event must feel sick I'm sure they did um, absolutely and it's uh, I was there with my fiance and she probably gonna say venture I guess she's never seen somebody stretch out of the ring like that Um, it was quite shocking and Conlon himself that time I remember when uh, he fought Lee Wood and there was you know you usually see thankfully you see a thumb going up on the stretcher or something like that there was nothing and it was the end of the broadcast I was like really worried about Conlon yeah. that night it was really because I, I wasn't at that fight rat and I was just watching it on TV I guess how you square is this you know and this is stay with me here this is a bit of a this analogy I'm just coming up with here in the spot so you remember in Saving Private Ryan when um, Tom Hanks says 
I've lost 90-something men on, um, under my command. And he says, but that means I must have saved 10 times that many, 100 times that many. And that's how you do the maths. And I kind of feel like that's how I square it in my mind. Think of all the wayward kids and all that get rescued by boxing. Like boxing, I think it saves more lives ultimately than it takes away or than it damages. And not everybody become world champion, of course, but it definitely puts a lot of very lost or wayward kids on a much better... Um, a much better course in their life. Yeah. Look at Brendan Ingle, say, in Sheffield, and the way the lads speak about him all these years later. He changed so many people's lives in that in that um, real working class kind of area in Winker Bank, you know? Or even John McCormick that you mentioned there over on yep. Dorset Street. Absolutely. Like the story about the people that St. Saviour's has saved and yeah. put on the right track as earlier. So, I mean, it's definitely, yeah, that's the way you have to square it, really. I guess it? so, the, or else you how, can you, how can you stay a fan of the sport? Yeah. It's, it's and at least, I guess, fighters know the dangers. You know, nobody goes into this with their eyes closed anymore, I don't think. Yeah, I think I think people are becoming more aware of it now. There definitely was an element of just, you just sweep all those worries under the carpet, you know? Um, and, you know, people say these things, like, I'd rather die than quit. That, that kind of stupid yeah. kind of, um, that, that kind of parlance they speak in. I would have I would have said things like that I'm sure yeah, as well sure for you sure yeah. you know and, and you mean it as, at the time as but a it's Rocky Marciano Marciano yeah, super yeah. fan like I'll walk through hell to exactly to yeah punch yeah yeah do the crowds who come to see your show understand boxing do you think or is it your mission to by the end of the show let them have a bit of a bit more of an insight into the sport I'd like to think both I'd love to now maybe I'm hoping for a lot here but I'd love it to be the kind of show where you know real avid boxing fans can come yeah. and there's lots of Easter eggs in there for them about boxing history and stuff like that and what it's like to be in the ring then like you know they can relate to that and then the flip side is maybe there's somebody there who's no interest in boxing might actively dislike the sport but will still get something from it so I mean I kind of talk about what's like to be hit what's like to be shaken up and buzzed by a shot you know and seeing seeing like seeing stars is not just a thing it's not just in Tom and Jerry well, cartoons. It does happen, you know. I'm sure a lot of boxers listen to this show, but it's horrendous being punched in the face. Well, you get used to it a little bit, but that, I never, I mentioned earlier on that you're the first person who ever taught me how to throw a punch and I did a bit of that white collar body sparring, mm. but I never liked it when the punches came up over the chin. Yeah. I, I, never, yeah. Really got, I never got used to it. That's, uh-huh. that's where I always had to kind of just pull back. I guess it. I've said this before though. It's, it's a lot of your mindset. So... When you're in the ring, you often think like, yeah, I'll get, I'll walk through punches all day. I, don't, I, I like getting hit. I like getting hit. People say this all wakes the time. Exactly. Wakes me back. Wakes me up. Yeah, I'm, I'm not awake till I get hit. And you mean it. But say, that's the kind of psychology you're in. That's the mindset you're in when you're boxing. But say the same person might be standing watching a football match, you know, just paying, you know, chatting away, not paying much attention. The football can come and smack you in the face, be like, oh, fuck jesus the pain of that like you know because you're just not really in that headspace yeah whereas if it was in the ring you just walk straight through it you wouldn't bat an eyelid so i think a lot of it is just the mindset you're in that's what it's all about yeah so you talk about what it's like getting punched in the face do you talk about the pleasure of landing a punch on someone and creasing them because that's mm. the say the saddest aspect about everybody who's ever thrown a punch at a bag can feel yeah. the satisfaction of oh i really cracked that and if you get it at another person and they go down that's a pleasurable thing, like the, if, especially if they know the dangers there in the boxing ring. If you talk about that, like, do you, yeah, do you well, like inflicting a bit of pain? Every fighter probably has to a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're a lawyer if you say you don't really, aren't you? Especially, I'd say, with, with me, body shots was was a thing for sure. I love the feeling of like sinking a left hook into the liver and you feel, <clears throat> you hear that, the wind leaving the person. 
then it's almost that delayed like split second you don't know if they're going to go down or not and then they take right, it yeah. in yeah so that, that was always a joy but often that was just a joy because it's relief you know the fight's over you've won you know as opposed to like the threat's gone the threat's done you walk away your hand is raised you, you're the winner you progress to the next round of the tournament or whatever it might be uh, as opposed to actually you know taking great pleasure in hurting someone and it does play in your mind sometimes afterwards you know maybe later on that night you'll feel a bit bad for that other the the losing boxer because it's a long day ahead of them for the next day you know I always felt like I was walking into walls the next day after losing the fight you know and it's uh, actually John McCormick I think said this to me before and he was dead right you know you wake up the morning after a fight if you lost your neck is sore your muscles are sore everything is sore the next day the same kind of contest you've no soreness in your neck no soreness in your muscles if you want if you want it's just it's just remarkable. Yeah, well, I think if you if you announce that comeback now, uh, you might feel differently at this stage. <laughs> Win, lose, or draw, you're going to be crawling. Yeah, I don't fancy getting yeah, anymore. No, um, spent enough years of my life getting punched. Last year at the Edinburgh Film Festival, or at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, how, how do you get the call to? That must be like one of life's great accomplishments. You've been chosen to perform in Edinburgh. Well, it, it's kind of more like you have to apply to them, right? Uh, especially in the comedy sector, you apply. It's a quite a a long kind of application process and you send some clips and you, you big your show up, big yourself up basically. And I think what helped me this year, I'm doing a good slot this year. So last year, basically I did a bit of a test or say, I did a few shows and I was given a slot at 11 a.m. So um, 11 a.m. slot. So I'm out flooring every morning at 9 a.m. to like basically children and dogs, you know? Tough crowd, a lot, a lot of canines in, because um, there's nothing to flirt to at that hour in the morning. So, but one of the people who came along to see the show last year was Ken Buchanan, the the greatest Scottish boxer of all time, arguably, and um, definitely now it looked like Josh Taylor might overtake him. Yeah, nah, Buchanan, Benny Lynch, Benny Lynch, yeah. I'd put up there as well. Benny Lynch, close, close second. Um, yeah. But uh, but he was obviously problems with dementia and stuff like that at the time. But he came in is is this this guy Broughton was kind of like his friend, effectively his minder, and he was like, "All right, it's uh, Kenny. He's probably won't stick around for the whole show. He's got dementia, so he might leave. Don't be don't be offended, mate. Right? Don't be offended." So I was like, "No, geez, I'm not offended. Of, I'm absolutely just kind of, you know, kind of starstruck. He's sitting here." in the front row at my gig amongst and this is not a gig of 500 people there's probably seven people here apart from Ken Buchanan you know but he stuck around for the whole hour and he brought his um his world title and his European title his British like his Lonsdale belt brought everything and he stuck around had a chat with me for a good few minutes afterwards and he recounted all the stories his long-term memory was perfect he told me about like you know sharing a restroom with Muhammad Ali he told me about like um you know he fought Ismail Laguna and they opened his eye up with the razor blade like in Rocky, yeah. And he says that Sylvester Sloan robbed that moment off him yeah. for Rocky won. He he claims. So but his, his long term memory absolutely sharps attack. Talk about Roberto Duran. Yep. Oh yeah. He talked about oh, he hit me in the knockers. I chased him. I followed him around the world. I met him one time in a bar in Miami, and I says, "Why wouldn't you fight me, you cunt?" But it was uh, yeah. He said he chased Duran around the world for a rematch. Never got it. Yeah, maybe for the best if you if you want to have any more kids at that stage. Yeah, but, uh, but I think sorry to meander here, but I think yeah, I included all that stuff in the application, and maybe 
the Ken Buchanan thing kind of won them over and so oh, seeing as yeah. Ken Buchanan came we'll see the show a better slot this year yeah, yeah. he's legitimised the show a bit yeah. so we'll, uh, yeah. we'll give him a much better slot so thanks Kenny rest in peace uh, what what? so obviously you've made the transition fully like to the, to the stage like what comics uh, are your favourites or do you, do you model yourself on anyone or is it a unique show or who do you who do you enjoy just watching a stand up oh lots like lots you know lots I mean my favourite comedian of all time for sure is Richard Pryor Billy Connolly a close second and there's just so many today like and I like a a very broad spectrum of comedy like I seen a guy last year uh, Paul Curry from Belfast who kind of does kind of more clowning kind of stuff it's it's really just crazy kind of um, really worth seeing so I like stuff like that as well as much as I like typical stand-up so I'd like to think that this show is a little bit different it's not just straight stand-up and gags I do bits of music bits of movement and there's a story arc in there as well you know and yeah. I kind of try and hitch in the fields a bit as well you know I think I saw was it one of your flyers uh, or one of your maybe your rep um, correct me if I'm wrong but it might have been your reps and there was Terry O'Neill Terry has been in this film and this film and he specialised in this and it said on you Terry specialises in playing a Dublin scumbag it said oh, did you see that? <laughs> that's, that that probably comes from me directly yeah, that, <laughs> that's kind of my forte you know <laughs> If like, um, you know, it was kind of, uh, I was cast like in, in Rebellion, like was my, well, I was like, oh my God, great TV show. When I get to play like a Freedom Fighter, it's all set in 1916 Rising, you know, will I be like a Portic Pierce or a James Connolly type? And they were like, well, actually we had this other part in mind, you know, <laughs> no. while everybody else is fighting the Rising, you'll be breaking shop windows and stealing shit from shops, you know? Well, that, that's kind of my yeah. forte, generally speaking. Well, Tom Von Lauder plays an edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Dublin Scumbag has kind of got the market sewn up on that one. Um, or I, I, I know that this is a totally true story as well. A couple of years ago, I had a role in the film. It was the biggest role I had so far. And the director sat me down the first morning in the set, like, and I was kind of nervous, you know, and he said, look, Terry, I know you're nervous. It's written all over your face, but I just want to reassure you right now, you got nothing to be nervous about because we saw some great actors for this role. But as soon as you walked in, you were this character. We had to have you. Know what the role was? Convicted sex offender. So <laughs> I went down from Dublin Scumbag to that, yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, you don't even need to audition for it for the it's your walk it's everything it's, it's your menacing I don't vibe. know what it was I don't know what it was yeah what a backhanded um, compliment yeah but you played the role I played the role yes I did yeah. that was called The Meeting um, yeah and the director of that film Alan Jensen fa- fabulous director he's actually directing me now on this show at present so right okay like that that's a big film to land a role in as well, though, isn't it? And it's it's a meaty role. Like, I mean, playing a sex offender is no easy thing. But did you did you watch other actors? I think did Kevin Bacon play a sex offender? Was it in the woods one? Or does it? It's a tough role a to play, times. isn't it? Like, he it's did a not... few times. Like, yeah, I mean, Sleepers. He was a sex offender as well. There, like Kevin Bacon's played a lot of dark roles. Um, what? How do you prepare for that? Like, do you are you a method actor, or like do you go like? <laughs> <laughs> no. it's very d- dodgy territory here Kevin yeah, yeah. is this the podcast where you come on and get cancelled is it <laughs> yeah, pretty much uh, <laughs> don't go to Arbor Hill up in a yeah. is it no <laughs> well, like, no well, how do you prepare for all of I that I think like ultimately the, it has to be you do as much research as you can and it was based on a real event as well mm. so I could read about what happened and the lady played herself didn't she yeah exactly yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah. Alva Griffith incredible incredible woman yeah uh, incredible bravery to, to go and 
kind of relive that again. It sounds so intense, you know? it sounds so intense. Like yeah, like as intense as your most difficult assignment in the in the boxing ring, even more. Yeah. Yeah, no, really intense, really intense. But I guess in ter- you do as much prep as you can. And then you have to just try and trust in the process. And on the day, you just have to let go. And ultimately, it has to be a creation of your own your, your own imagination or else it's not going to work. Do you get me? Mm. I don't want to just do an impersonation of somebody else. Yeah, you don't you want play, it to... You probably don't want to play a complete caricature of a monster either. Exactly. It has to be exactly. someone who's hiding in plain sight. Yeah, exactly that. There has to be something, if not redeemable, then something at least sort of normal about them. Mm. You know? You're great Michael inside as well. Another Dublin scumbag role. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so don't meet, don't meet Terry in prison. Um, but He'll rob your remote control. <laughs> um, and like, is that something you'd like to continue to do? Obviously, like bigger and better movie roles, you know, more star performances. And you're not the first boxer who's transitioned to an acting career either. Like you've got some great role models there, like Liam Neeson, you know, the yeah. greatest, one of the greatest Irish yeah, actors of his generation. He, I think he won an Ulster title, didn't he, underage? Um, he might have, yeah. He yeah. also once fought a guy called Michael Collins, Liam Neeson versus Michael Collins. Right, okay. He played Michael Collins years ago. Yeah, later, amazing. He was a good boxer, I think. Yeah, it was it All Saints Ballymena? And he, yeah, I th- I, he might have won an Ulster title. I don't know off the top of my head, but he yeah. Was, he I, was, I, I read, uh, I read his book. There was an old biography um, written about him from years back. And I think he got a couple of concussions and he kind of, he strayed away into the acting. Right. Yeah, no, I think he boxed at a decent level until he was 17 or so. Yeah. And obviously, Barry Keoghan. From Dublin, Barry's well. done some Good. boxing too. Yeah. Have you done any uh, rounds? Or have you seen him in action? He's Bar- Miss Barry and myself are in the same cl- class in acting school, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was in the same in Bow Street when we were, were like studying screen acting together. Yeah. And even back then, he was so busy he quit like a few months in. He was yeah. yeah he just he really took off. And his to see his trajectory has been amazing because it's just been it's never been like a zigzag. It's just been. He's you moved know. out of the typecast as well of Dublin Scumbag. He's yes. seen a role. He's That's managed to, absolutely, to pull in as well. Absolutely. Like, I mean, That's what I'm trying to do now. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, like in, in America as well, Seamus McDonough, John Duddy mm. uh, managed to... No, John Duddy got that role. Yeah, yeah. It? I was... It's a Ram film. Living next, John Duddy got me... I was living next door to John Duddy over there for a while, years back, like in, in, in America, New York. Uh, yeah, the Gleason's connection? Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, Duddy's doing really well over there, it seems. Tony Danza. Oh yeah, uh, taxi. Yeah, <laughs> oh me close to Tony. Dance. Yeah, text cop. Other fighter. Other cop. He was in. He was in um, Raising Arizona. Yeah, fought Larry Holmes. Other actors who like started off in boxing: Ryan O'Neill, Chris Christopherson. Mm. There's a massive history. Jack Blance. Jack Blance. Yeah. yeah, he's written here. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, there's a few British ones as well. Um, Gary Stretch. Gary Stretch, of course. Yeah, yeah. fought Eubank for the Ricky World Rover. He, Ricky Crowe was he? You've got me. You've got me. He was an ama- He's a co- comic actor. He was in a few. I think he was in some pr- program I saw years ago called Horrible. Um, right. With Johnny Vaughan, I think it was, and he does. He does a good few bits. So you follow him on social media, and he's Johnny funny. Harris. Do you know Johnny Harris? He was in Jawbone, was it? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's another one. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny because in- immediately you think like they're so different. But there's much more of a correlation than people might think. Like, I mean, ultimately, they're both performance. You know, at the end of the day, you're performing in front of people. Um, There's nerves involved. A lot of it's a very solitary profession. You do a lot of preparation on your own. Even though, say, if you're in a a film, uh, a play, or even in the Olympics, wherever it might be, you're part of a team, 
But ultimately, you're there on your own, doing your own thing. And even in terms of preparation, stuff like that, you know, you have to kind of really, a lot of kind of soul searching. So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of correlation. And sometimes I kind of, before I don't stand up for sure, before yeah. your name is called, sometimes, maybe oftentimes you're okay, but maybe that one time in 10, you're so nervous, you're looking at the window. You know what I mean? I could jump out that window yeah. right now and escape. So it's good for to try and... Um, Tommy McCarthy was on, because obviously he's just started out on stand-up a yeah. year ago. And I was asking him about it before, and he was saying, like, he, he could see in the dressing room, some lads were pacing the floor, you know, mm. walking up, and then they looked terrified. But he was kind of thinking, I've been boxing my whole life. I've been in the lonely dressing room my whole life. Wait yeah. for call. It gave him a bit of peace before he went. That's out. how you rationalize it. Exactly. At least no one's trying to take my head off. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and and the pressure to perform. What if I forget my lines? Or mm. maybe like a boxer. What if I forget how to? What if this guy's too big, too strong? You know, it's kind of like, nah, it's grand. I've done my work. I can go out there now, and it'll be fine. Like, yeah, you kind of think like you know, you're learning how to swim. It's like if he can't touch the bottom, initially you start panicking, and you get more used to it. Say, so I've been in deeper waters before, so you kind of always. Yeah, I'm always trying to rationalize like that in moments when I get nervous or worried or overwhelmed. I read a, a nice review of your show from um tell, tell us who tell us who gave you this review, Terry, will you? A fine young performer. Oh, touchy subject. That, that looked great in the poster a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was Mr. Ryan Tuberty himself. That didn't age well, did it? Ah, still, still. <laughs> It'll look well in Edinburgh. <laughs> a rising scary talent. Terry is the real deal, says the end of. Mm, Could have been your boss's nickname, the, the real deal. That was the independence, yeah. That was that was at the time of that was that was a, that was predates the show, actually. That was for that was for the meeting film, I think. If memory serves. Mm. You still go to like you're still crazy into boxing. I have seen you at the shows up in Belfast for the last decade or, or so, you know, we'd see in the bar or whatever and like what's been the highlight of supporting Irish boxing for the last 10 or 15 years but obviously, <laughs> <laughs> obviously since you you know hung up your own gloves unofficially um, a lot of your old colleagues have gone on to have massive success mm. and stuff like we've seen Andy Lee win his world title yeah. Carl Frampton win his world title I've seen you at their fights over the years I'm sure you know so yeah and I mean the, you know Kelly Harrington and Katie Taylor quite well as well yeah like I mean I mean I'm really honoured to even though I never as I said was part of the high performance team per se I'm really honored that these people I trained alongside like Carl Frampton and even like uh, on the amateur level, like Kenneth Egan, Paddy Barnes, John Joe Nevin, obviously Andy Lee, Kelly Harrington, Katie Taylor, all these people were kind of, I was pally with, like, you know, and some of them were good friends. So I'm really honored to have come up alongside people like that and see their success. I think of all of them, I'd say Katie maybe was, was, was the biggest because, I mean, I watched, did you watch the, you've sure you've seen the documentary on Netflix, the... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I, I, I was, I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> I was really? just, oh god, it was the most wreck. She just felt like she, there was no position in, for her at all. There was no such thing as women's boxing in as an Olympic sport, and she just carved out this all on her own, like off her own back. It was just an incredible journey. Like everything was against her. So to watch that, like, and see what was your impressions of her back then and the. Oh four, oh five. I'm she, not going to do an impression of Katie because that will get me cancelled as well. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know what it was, and it's kind of it's cliche to say, but <laughs> people would say, "Jay, she's great for a girl, isn't she?" Yeah, that was exactly yeah. what you heard all the time. And I remember one time um, she was boxing a lad out of Mount Talent, uh, Michael McDonough, who was like probably a year older, a bit heavier, and obviously he's like a 15, 16 year old guy. 
against a 14 or 15 year old girl. And it was a tough fight. But like back then, she was less kind of skills and frills. She just was kind of getting horse, stuck in. Yeah. And at the end of the fight, like it was, I think it was just an exhibition, you know. But at the end of the fight, her blood all over her face, her nose was bleeding and stuff. And all the old lads were going like, Jesus, hopefully she'll get some sense now, you know. Hopefully she'll quit boxing. That'd be the end of that now, that, that pipe dream. So I'm not sure if she listened to them or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I remember it was... Um, yeah, she just really kind of stuck with it. And I remember she she kind of developed all the moves and the, the skill set she had was was incredible then. And the level, the disparity between Katie and the rest of the girls, you, I'm sure you remember like 15 years ago, was was massive. They couldn't touch her at all. Obviously, as time has gone on and, and the sports progressed, they're kind of getting a bit closer now. Yeah, the Katie just turned, I think, 36. She's going to have yeah. a rematch now with Chantel Cameron yeah. in November. Yeah, the last one in the end. It was, yeah. it was actually, yeah. It was incredible. You don't boxing. really miss one, do you, Terry? You go to nearly all the fights. Um, you don't miss that many anyway. Yeah, so. I, I, I've kind of fallen out of touch, being honest with the amateurs. Yeah. I kind of have, um, to, to my shame. But no, the pros are going to see most of the big ones. Yeah. Rematch with Cameron in November by lots of things up at maybe light welterweight again which is yeah because I think Ireland probably has a good shout to have the two best lightweights in the world mm. it's Harrington's progress we've seen her at the recent European Games swept to gold yeah Estelle Mosley no problem there's no mm. boxer in, in the world at the amateur level who could give her a, much of a problem I'd love to see Kelly Harrington bringing those skills now to the uh, pro game but I don't think I don't think we're going to get to see that opportunity I don't think so I think she's, she's got to go for a second Olympic gold that's, yeah. that's on her that's what right, I really but the skill, the skill she's bringing at yeah. at the top level now it's just she's, I th- I'm finding her a joy to watch she's, Brilliant. the way she's able to switch hit, set, set so many traps and some fights she decides to attack using mainly her right hook and yeah. other times it's it's left almost a bit of a whatever she wants bit of a Terence Crawford in that she can switch yeah. equally at home yeah. southpaw and orthodox and yeah underrated for her skills you know rated for her winning ability but mm. for what she brings to the to the ring probably I'm not sure people realise how good she she's is. She's a fabulous counter-puncher. Yeah. But then she can go forward and walk someone down as well. She, she, she's, she's got a bit of everything, yeah. I saw some secret sparring of her against one of the world pro champions as well. A few really, yeah. She battered her. She really? She's just setting the traps, yeah, setting the traps, yeah. making her commit. And then, like she did at the Mosley recently at the European Games, mm. making them commit, these come-forward aggressive fires, and then really hitting them hard, like on the mm. way in. She's... She's walloping. So, you know, she's in her prime as well. She's so. 35 now, maybe? Who, Kelly? 34. I would have thought she's maybe 33. Oh, maybe so, maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe she could be younger yeah. than Katie. Yeah, there's a couple just, of years there. She yeah. could go pro feasibly, I guess. But um, I think, as I said, uh, the, the Olympics is on her radar. That's mm. her, um Yeah, I think once she made the decision after Tokyo not mm. to do it, that was the ship it probably said. Yeah, right? like so. You maybe so. That. Never say never. But um, yeah, the Frampton years were great up in Belfast as well. Um, and now the Conlon thing is happening as well so Frampton was great I remember being at um, one of the fights in Europa and I was there with uh, with mates and stuff in the after party you know in front of Terry Terry called me over I was like oh my chest swelling out with pride you know and he's like I was like nudging me mates off. I remember Terry O'Neill and I was like here we go he's going to tell some incredible boxing story about me is Terry O'Neill got me fucking pissed on Copperberg one night he introduced me to this drink and got me drunk I was like brilliant that's what I'm remembered for on Carl Frampton's point yeah getting him drunk well it could be worse I think I once uh, wrote a story about and I quoted him and I still maintain to this day mm. that I quoted him accurately but I basically implied that he had two ball bags <laughs> and he called me out for it on Twitter he goes are you saying I've got two ball bags <laughs> he said in the quote he goes I think Joe Gallagher knows as much about my style of fighting mm. as 
as in my right ball bag or something like that. Yeah. I quote with the guy accurately, but I've seen him in the showers. I can confirm he's does. got two yeah. sets of ball bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna close it up here, Terry, in a minute. But we've got a little thing to do after uh, before we do. Um, as a boxer, comedian, and actor, we're gonna read out a few uh, scenes from the <laughs> movies here. So, uh, do you want to start off with the order in, w- in which we? Right, them? this is. This is Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Okay. Okay. You're Jake. So I'm, I'm going to be right? Jake, obviously. Um, <laughs> no, it's bothering me. It's my hands. Your hands? I got these small hands. I, I got little girly hands. I got them too. What's the difference? You know what that means? No matter how big I get, no matter who I fight, no matter what I do, I ain't never going to get to fight Joe Lewis. Yeah, that's right. He's a heavyweight. You're a middleweight. We know that. I ain't never going to get a chance to fight the best there is. And you know something? I'm better than them. I ain't never going to get the chance, Joey. Nice work. You're going to hit me in the face now? That's where <laughs> yeah. that scene goes, isn't it? Jesus, yeah. I'll take a shot, boy. Yeah. <laughs> probably not to hit me back, right? <laughs> right, up next, we've got Terry Malloy on the waterfront. Ooh. This is Marlon Brown. I should have. I wish I had these earlier. I would have practiced these. <laughs> this, this is a big this monologue, is isn't it? Here. Well, you can, you can start halfway down if you want. Um... Okay, remember. Yeah. My night, I could have taken. Yeah. Whatever. Okay, We're doing Brando, your favorite actor. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night? I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets a title shot outdoors in the ballpark. What do I get? A one way ticket to Belucaville. He was my brother, Charlie. You, you should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dies for the short-earned money. Nice work, Terry. <laughs> Terry Malloy. Lovely. <laughs> that was pretty good. What? Your brand was on point there. I'll take that. Um, so now we've got a couple from Rocky. You, you don't have to do all these. You can do mm, one or two if you want. Let me see these. It starts with Apollo, then we've got Rocky. Do you want to... You can, where's, where's Rocky? Right. Oh, what about this one here? Ain't no sun in no sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You know, me or nobody's gonna hit you as hard as life. Well, that's slow. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> no offense, Sylvester, if you're listening. Be so, uh, you know, so slow, you know, so slow is the long, there you go. <laughs> what's next on, uh, the, on the we've got a Rocky and a, we, we can go back to that one this is this is from Bleed for this okay the story of Vinny Pazienza uh, I wasn't mad about Wills Teller as a Pazienza choice to be honest really think? Vinny got, Pazienza got 5 a, foot 7 and Wills Teller big tall skinny lad playing him you know it was a bit yeah but I'm not it sure it's all it was a good but, film though, wasn't it? And he it was, got into good shape, like yeah. yeah. I think I saw Southpaw with Jake Gyllenhaal around the same time. I preferred Bleed for This. Bleed for This was better than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were two. They weren't weren't me. And Southpaw wasn't that bad. Maybe he just mm. suffered by comparison or something. Like he that, wasn't a Southpaw. No, I know. Yeah. You know that, that was he, <laughs> he was in the orthodox stance in the uh, car, big cardboard cutouts. Did you see that? Yeah. Well, the whole Jeez, fight. Lads. He was the whole boxing scenes in it. As memory serves, he might switch Southpaw at the very end, but it's like. Yeah, he wasn't a southpaw. Sorry. All right. So, this is uh, I'm playing a female reporter. You're mm. playing a uh, Miles Teller, Vin, Vinny Pazienza. Vinny Pazienza. Okay. All right. People are called it calling this one of the most unlikely comebacks in sports history. What do you attribute it to? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I had a lot of help. 
But you've also had a lot of adversity. You've had issues with management, conflicts of interest. Yeah, well, you know, the boxing world looks sunny from the outside. It's filled with promises that most of them turn out to be lies. You can't rely on anyone. So what would you say the biggest deception was? What was the biggest lie that you were told? It's not that simple. Why not? No, that, that, that's the biggest lie I was ever told. It's not that simple. And it's a lie they tell you over and over again. What's not simple? Any of it. All of it. It's how they get you to give up. They say, it's not that simple, Vinny. So what's the truth? That it is. That if you do just one thing that they tell you, you can't, it's done. And you realize it is that simple. And it always was. Still good lines. Yeah, I must watch that movie again, great, actually. Great scene, yeah. Mm. Nice work. Well, look, rope it up, hero. Terry O'Neill, I think we'll, we'll leave it there with a few scenes from so, the movies. Yeah, brilliant. Kind of just, you wanna, yeah, well, just to say, hopefully now, when we come back, the plan from Edinburgh is to do, do a tour in Ireland. And I'm hoping because of the nature of the show, and again, I'm hoping for a lot here, <laughs> because of the nature of the box of the show, I could do it in comedy clubs, I could do it in theatre spaces, and hopefully boxing clubs around the country even. So that's what I'm really looking forward to doing. Yeah, and there's, how, many, how many boxing clubs are in Ireland? 300, 400 plus? I can hit 300 in a night. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be but they're everywhere. Like there's a, yeah. there's a venue for you in in every town in every in every county of Ireland. Yeah, I'd love to think so. And as well as that, maybe boxing such a family. It's a connection. Like we had, our last show last week was like Phil Sutcliffe, and we walked around the gym in Cromlin, and he Brilliant. was disappointed yeah. to this person's on the wall and this person's on the yeah. wall. They're all like his relatives. No, they're mm. not his relatives. They're kids he trained, people he knew from different clubs, people he went on holidays with. But like. The man has a thousand relatives, a maybe lot of five thousand relatives. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the whole kind of thing about boxing being a family. Isn't necessary. Isn't an exaggeration. I could see by the way he was talking about mm. it. Like it's so you've got that to tap into as well, which is a nice little resource. Hundred percent. And I think there's a great like um, you know, particularly theatre is often seen as being quite elitist and like you know like we only want certain audiences here in this play. So it'd be great to kind of bring it to people on their home turf, mm. you know bring a show that's relatable to these people most of them as well um to like a boxing club in Drogheda in Belfast like in in, in on the north side of the inner city in town as well you know so hopefully that's the plan moving forward well very good well I wish you all the best for it and hopefully a few big juicy movie roles to come you can play maybe a Galway uh, aristocrat <laughs> yeah. or a, a Mayo farmer maybe one day. Yeah, absolutely. Go completely against the type. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look, Terry O'Neill, Irish champion, boxer, Irish international fighter, comedian, movie star, the lot. Thanks very much. For Thanks so today. much, man. On the rocky road. Much appreciated. Mm-hmm.